Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. Man, we just we are so excited that you're here, whether you're in person inside or you're in the courtyard or maybe you're watching online. Our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about something happening this Friday. Uh, we are having uh, what we call Marriage Night. Uh, we've done this three years in a row, and uh, if you are married or you want to be married or maybe someday your relationship might head in that direction, then I'll encourage you uh, to come to Marriage Night. Uh, it is uh, at 530. We're going to have food for you, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, you can go to frontrange.info to find out more information uh, or to register there. But, uh, man, it doesn't matter if you feel like you're in a great place in your marriage or maybe you're struggling. No matter where you are, this will be a great time to, to laugh and to, to learn and to grow and to build community with one another as well. So I encourage you to uh, check that out if you're married or engaged or dating, something like that. Uh, and then I want to say a huge thank you uh, to you as the church and then to Pastor Jeff and Pastor Johnny. Uh, about a month ago, I went to jump on Wyatt's bed to give him a hug, my son, uh, and he decided to lift his knee up really fast, caught me under my chin, and I, uh, I, I almost bit off my tongue. Uh, it was crazy. I had to go to the ER and get stitches and all that good stuff, and I couldn't talk for two weeks. Uh, and so I know so many of you were praying for, for us. Um, uh, we, honestly, we saw kind of a miracle happen two weeks ago. Uh, and so even that song we just sang about miracles, like God still does miracles. And I just want to say thank you for praying. And then thank you for Pastor Jeff and Pastor Johnny. They weren't prepared uh, to speak the messages they needed to. Uh, they did an amazing job, and I'm just grateful for them as well. Today we're going to wrap up our series called Blessed, uh, where we're talking about uh, one of my favorite subjects because it's transformed my life, but it's not an easy subject to talk about at church. We're talking about generosity, and uh, so many times when, uh, when we talk about generosity, especially at church, um, maybe uh, you get a little like, oh man, okay, great. Now you're going to ask me for money or something like that. Uh, and uh, we've tried to communicate. It's not about what we want from you, but rather what we want for you. And generosity can transform your life. It can transform really your family tree. We talk about the things that Jesus talked about. and He talked about money a lot. Uh, and I was supposed to do most of these messages, uh, but I was talking like, yes, you can't really understand me. Uh, we had to to mix some things up. And so to, uh, the first week we looked at generosity and the heart of generosity, how all of us long to be generous. And then last week, Pastor Johnny talked about uh, how our hearts tend to go in the direction where our money goes. So wherever you put your money, your heart is going to end up in that very same place. And then he gave us this incredible 90-day generosity challenge where we said, hey, you can kind of take a step in your generosity during the next 90 days. We're not asking you to do it for the next 90 years, just the next 90 days where you consider taking a step of faith in your generosity. Uh, if you were here last week, you got a little card, uh, or if you're watching online, we put a little link in there. If you weren't, we put cards underneath your row now. So if you weren't here last week, or if you were like, ah, oh, we're still trying to figure out this whole deal, then there's a card underneath your row. You can see kind of what that generosity challenge looks like, and we're just asking you to take a step. We're not going to follow up with you to see if you've done what you said or anything like that. I don't look at those giving records, anything like that. We just want to be praying for you. We had over 120 people say, I'll take a step of faith and do this generosity challenge. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's incredible. So thank you, Front Range. 
for all that you do. Today, we're going to get really practical, okay? Because it's real easy to talk about having a heart of generosity, but then the question that comes to my mind is, okay, then how? Like, how do I have a heart of generosity when I've got bills and I want to pay for re- and, and get ready for retirement and, and I got loans to pay for, school loans, I got to get ready for my kids to have school loans to pay for, you know, all the things that come at you. How do I be generous with all the things that I have going on? A couple weeks ago, I looked into the generosity of people during one of the hardest years that I've ever seen. 2020 was a tough year. I watched buddies lose their businesses and people lose their jobs and just a really challenging year for everybody. Um, And so I looked at the giving of people in 2020. And across our nation, giving was up tremendously. Uh, giving to nonprofits was up, giving to animal organizations, whatever that means was up, giving to educational institutions was up. The only area that I found that giving was down was to the church. Our giving was down as well. Our general giving was, was down as a church. And uh, it, it, it kind of fascinated me that giving would be up in every other category except for that one. And I don't know the reason for that. I don't understand the reason for that. But let me tell you three things that I have learned about generosity over the years. Number one, our generosity has room for growth. Our generosity, no matter how much each of us gives to different things, has room for growth. I mean, if you look at the church, and to me, the church is the greatest change agent in the world. The church has the greatest power and position to be able to make a difference in our world. And when you look at generosity to the church, we have a lot of room for growth. In fact, I found some stats that I want to share with you. During the Great Depression, people gave 3.3% of their income to the church. That's pretty amazing considering, you know, kind of where we were at during, well, not we, I wasn't there, but where our country was at during the Great Depression. And if you were there, I'm sorry, whatever. But uh, during that time, uh, yeah, can you hear me? Uh, Whatever. Um, That was terrible. That was terrible. What am I doing? Stick to the slides. Okay, so 3.3% during that time period. Today, you would think we would give more, 2.5%. Then in a greater economy, greater money that most of us, the, the stock market being the highest it's ever been, we're at 2.5% that we give to the church. Then I looked at, okay, the church, what does the church do? Well, when the church is doing the right thing, and I get it, like there are some of us have a hesitation to give to the church because we've seen churches um, mismanage funds. We've seen churches not do what they were supposed to do with what God had given them. But when the church is doing what it's supposed to do, the church fights uh, hunger all across the world. The church fights for clean water. The church fights against the injustices like sex trafficking and slavery and different things like that. The church does does a lot of good in our society. And when you look at all the good things the church does, you would think, man, wouldn't people want to give? And when you look at that, only 3 to 5% of people who are followers of Christ actually tithe. 3 to 5%. Now, what's the tithe? Tithe is giving 10% of your income to the church, not to another organization, but to the church. It's giving 10%. Now, what's fascinating is that 17% of those same people that got surveyed said that they tithe, but only 3 to 5% actually do. Why the discrepancy? Because we've kind, of, we've kind of interchanged these words, tithing and giving. We think that giving is tithing, but it's not. Giving is just giving. Tithing is giving 10%. Now, what's good for our church, at least, is that uh, we have about 8% of us that are tithing. So we're up from that 3 to 5%, which is, which is really good. Then you look at some, some other stats, and this stat is one that uh, was probably the biggest, like, man, that's, 
it's hard for me to, to, to comprehend. And I'm not trying, there's no judgment here. It's just hard for me to comprehend. But when you look at people that give to the church, 40% of people who call themselves followers of Christ and attend a church regularly don't give anything. Now, it's kind of fascinating for me because when I'm at a place that I feel like is helping me and that's growing and it's helping my kids and, and all of that, man, I want to invest in that place. So to see that is kind of heartbreaking. So the first thing that I've learned is that all of us have room for growth when it comes to our generosity. A second truth that I've learned is that our generosity can change the world. Our generosity can change the world. I mean, again, I believe that the church is the most active, powerful force on the planet. That when the church is fully funded, the church can do incredible things. In fact, when the church is fully funded, within five years, we can eradicate, we can get rid of all starvation and hunger issues throughout the world. When the church is fully funded and doing what it's supposed to do, we can get rid of all preventable diseases like malaria. They can be done away with in five years. When the church is fully funded and doing what it's supposed to be doing, then we can take care of all clean water. We can make sure that every person, now we don't have an issue here in Colorado, at least most of us, but there are people all over the world that don't have clean water to drink and clean sanitation and all of that. We can take care of all that. We can end slavery, slavery. Millions of people are trapped in it. We can end it. We can end sex trafficking when the church is doing its job and it's fully funded. We can go to the furthest parts of the world and spread the gospel, making sure that every person has heard about Christ, which, by the way, we're getting beat out by organizations like Coca-Cola. Like I remember one time we were in Kenya and we were in the, like in the middle of nowhere, Kenya, telling people about the gospel. And we found this little hut and we go inside the hut and the guy has Coca-Cola for sale in the hut. And I'm like, Coke has made it here before the church. That's crazy. If the church is fully funded and doing what it's supposed to be doing, this world will be changed forever. So our generosity has room for growth. Our generosity can change the world. And then lastly, every person wants to be more generous. I firmly believe that every person in here, if I were to say, raise your hand if you want to be more generous, every single one of us would raise our hand. Every, I've never, person, never met a person that was like, nah. I just don't want, I don't want to give to anything. I don't care. I just, I don't care about people or helping or, I've never met that person, ever. Every person wants to be more generous, but the question is, how? I mean, when I look at what's in front of me, how can I be more generous? This is the very question that a group of people in the Bible were asking. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, no worries, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, if you need a Bible, one, we have them for you at our Connect tent outside, or you could download the Bible app. And it's a great resource for all of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me kind of set it up for you. Paul, uh, who's writing this letter, is writing it to the church in Corinth. He writes about a lot of issues. The issue that he's writing about in this particular moment is about their generosity. He says, hey guys, I came to you before and I told you about a need that was there. And y'all were eager to meet the need. Like everyone was like, man, what, what do we need to do? I mean, it's very similar to you guys. And like we say, hey, hey, there's an earthquake in Haiti. Let's, let's respond. You guys respond. Hey, there was this hurricane that happened. Hey, let's respond. You guys respond. This church was so eager to respond. But now we're about nine, to, nine months to about a year and a half later, scholars would say, and the church still hasn't done anything. So Paul's saying, I just want you to know, I know you're eager, the need is still there, and I'm, gonna, I'm telling you now that I'm coming to collect the money. That way you'll be ready. That way I'm not embarrassed because I've been telling everybody about your generosity and how eager you were. So I don't want to be embarrassed. I also want you guys to be ready. But when I say let's give, you're ready to give. 
And so that's what Paul's saying to them. And here's where we pick up with the story, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, most of us are not farmers. We don't live in an agricultural society. But these people understood what he was saying, that that when you sow a lot of seeds, you will reap a lot of fruit. That when you put down enough seeds, you'll get back a good harvest. He says if you don't put down enough seeds, you're not going to get a good harvest. What he's not saying is if you give a lot of money, you'll get a lot of money. What he is saying is if you give a lot of money, you'll see a great harvest. You'll see God be able to use that money to do great things, not only in your own life, but in the lives of other people. So if you don't give a lot, you won't see a lot. If you give a lot, you'll see a lot. We understand this principle. Look at verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound and every good work. So Paul says, here's the need. You guys are eager to meet that need. How do you do that? Well, let me remind you, if you give a lot, then you'll see a big harvest. You'll see a big fruit that comes from that. But they're probably thinking about how do we give a lot? And then he tells us how to give a lot. He says, hey, plan in your heart and God loves a cheerful giver. And then he says, but remember, you can trust God. Like you can trust that God will supply everything that you need at all times with everything. You can trust him. He's the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He's the one that can supply everything that you'll ever need. Just trust him with your generosity. Well, Ernest, this sounds great, but where's the practicality of it? Well, look back at verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What does he say? He says, you've got to decide now. Like you've got a plan right now what you're going to give. You, you, you can't wait till the bills happen, until, you know, well, I got I to give enough for retirement, and I got to worry about this over here, and I got to worry about, and now an emergency, and now my tongue's hanging off, and I got to go to the ER. Like, you can't wait till those moments. Not that you would ever have that moment, but you can't wait till those moments to decide to give. You have to decide now. You have to decide right now. Another way to, to maybe say it is this, your budget shouldn't control your giving your giving should control your budget. Maybe another way to say what Paul is saying here in this this context for the people is that your budget shouldn't control your giving. Your giving should control your budget. I love that verse seven. God loves a cheerful giver. We probably heard that passage before. What he's not saying is that God loves it when you smile a lot and you give. He's not saying that, that cheerful giver piece, it means your heart. That God loves it when your heart is engaged, when your hearts, and Johnny talked about our heart last week. He said your heart meant your emotions, your will, your desire. So it means when everything inside of you is like, I want to be a part of this. I want to give. I want to be generous with my life. When you're in that space, God's like, man, I love that. But what I found is it's impossible for me to be in a place where I'm cheerful about my giving that I don't feel compelled, I don't feel pressured or anything like that unless I've planned my giving, unless I've decided beforehand what I'm going to give, unless I've decided in my heart before everything else, before Murphy's Law takes into action, before the emergencies, before the bills, before anything else happens, I've already decided what I'm going to give. We've got to make a plan. You've got a budget. But normally generosity isn't controlling our budget, 
Generosity is usually controlled by our budget. Let me give you kind of a, an illustration here. I have a pie right here, and last service I had pumpkin pie. This one I have apple caramel pie, so this shouldn't be messy at all. So let's say this pie represents your income, represents your monthly income, whatever you get on a regular basis. And for some of you, most of you are probably salary. Some of you maybe are by commission or bonuses or whatever. So the pie may look smaller some months and bigger other months, but this is what you get. Now, our first slice of the pie typically, yeah, this is real. This is going to be nice and messy. The first typical slice is uh, uh, you're like you're, if you have a house, your mortgage payment or your rent or something like that. Dave Ramsey says make that about 30% or somewhere in that range. So you take that out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to take it all out. That's, that's, that's going to be good stuff. I don't like pumpkin stuff, so this is much better for me. Uh, okay, so then you got that, and then you've got a car, right? Like, and so let's just say, okay, your car, no, you don't have a Honda. You got a Tesla, and so let's go on over there. Let's take that out. Maybe you do have a Honda. You got gas. If you don't have a Tesla, you don't have gas. You know, so you've got other things to pay for that car, insurance and, and different things like that. And then you've got your utilities. You've got you to gotta pay for that. And then you've got some, some other bills. Maybe you've got some toys. You've got a camper. You've got a boat or, you know, you've got a whatever. You've got some other toys there. And, and you take that out. And then you've got to have some entertainment, right? You've got to go to the movies or, you know, do other things. So you've got to take that piece out. And then the Broncos, they're doing okay this year. So you got to have a little Bronco slice in here, you know? Like that way you can buy back that hat that you gave away two years ago because they were terrible. Um, something like that. And then uh, you, if you got kids, you got some babysitting happening right there, you know? And then you've got probably some retirement or health insurance, different things like that. And before you know it, at the end of the month, your pie's gone. And here's what I know. I, here's, here's what I've learned. You can trust God. It's really easy to trust God on crumbs. It's really hard to be generous with crumbs. It's really easy for us to trust God with crumbs. Why? Because when we have our little pie and we know what our pie is, then we're like, hey, this is my money and I can kind of control. Well, if I want that NFL package and I got a little bit extra, then I just get the NFL package. If I want this thing over here and I got a little bit extra and we can go out this week because we got a little bit extra. It's really easy to trust God when there's only crumbs left over because we've controlled the pie. But it's really, really hard to be generous with crumbs. So we try to teach this, this uh, man, this stuff is sticky. We try to teach this stuff to, uh, to our kids. We've got two kids, 11-year-old and 9-year-old. And so the other day I was talking to my 9-year-old girl and, uh, about this topic. And she comes up to me. She says, hey, Dad, uh, uh, I need my money that you owe me. She did a couple extra things around the house. And so I owed her four bucks. And I hate it when she remembers when I owe her money because I always forget. And I just wish that she would forget. Uh, and so she said, Dad, you owe me $4. Can I have my $4? And I said, yes, I'll give you your money. But remember, it's not going to be $4. I said, where does the first 10% go? And she goes, oh, God. Like, okay, we'll work on the cheerful giver part a little bit later. <laughs> I said, okay, good. I said, where's the next 30% go? Oh, savings. Now, if you're good at addition, that's 40% my kids can't live off of. So they, I'm teaching them how to live off 60%. Can you imagine if you could live off 60%? I'm like, there's no way I could right now. But if I could teach them how to do it, they'll be, they'll be better off. And so she goes, but dad, I, I just don't understand. Like, why do we have to give God money? I said, that's a, that's a great question. Let me ask you this. Where did this money that I'm giving you come from? Well, you. Okay, yes, get that. But where did I then, where did I get it from? 
Well, God. Okay, so then the principle here is that everything we've been given has been given to us by God. And so when we're giving back to God 10% or whatever we choose to do, when we're giving back to him, guess what? We're not actually giving back to God. We're simply returning to him what's already his. He said, here's what I'm giving to you. Go steward this well. And so when we give to him, we're just returning to him what's already his. And when we do that, we're telling him two things, Waverly. We're telling him, God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you that you didn't ask for 100% because you could have asked for that. Thank you that you didn't ask for 50%. You could have asked for that. 10%, not that bad. I can do that. God, thank you for what you've given to me. Not only that, we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you that whatever you're asking me to give, that you're going to supply everything at all times. And so maybe a different way to do this is to take away this pie and get a different pie. Let's say this is our budget at this point. And instead of allowing our budget to control our generosity, all we have are are crumbs left at the end of the day. What if we said the very first thing we're going to do, the very first thing is we're going to take out this generosity piece. And now, after that's out of here, this is what we can budget everything else on. Now, everything else that that we need to pay for, our mortgage and everything, comes from this piece of pie, not from the original piece of pie. That our generosity controls our budget. Now, what does that look like? For, for my wife and I, we, uh, we do at least 10%. We give back to God because we believe in the principle of the tithe. What does tithe means? It means 10%. The tithe was, was instituted in the Old Testament. It was instituted before the Jewish people had their laws and all of that. So it was instituted before all of that. And then when the Jewish people came and, and, and had began to establish their laws, God said, I want you to give this. They didn't just give 10%. The Jewish people gave 23%. So imagine that being taken out of your pie from the very beginning. And so now now the tithe is in the the Jewish law, but not only that, now we move to the New Testament. When you get to the New Testament, people have told me over the years, well, you know, Ernest, there's really nothing in the New Testament that talks about tithing, and and tithing is, you know, I could tithe my time and all of that. And I go, man, that's awesome to give of your time and to give of your, your talents and stuff like that. But Jesus knows that the thing that will fight for your heart the most in your life is money. That that's the thing that will try to grip you the most is money. So he reminds us of the tithe. Look at Matthew 23, 23. These are the words of Jesus. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, so you religious people. You're hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. So you tithe. Your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So you're tithing, but you're forgetting all this other stuff that we talk about, the justice and the mercy and the faithfulness. And then he finishes it with this. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So you got to do both. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be a really good person. I'm going to give them my time and all of that and not practice the tithe. And you can't just practice the tithe and be a terrible person. He says, you have to do both. You have to plan. You have to budget whatever you're going to give. Johnny gave us this generosity challenge. And we've said, hey, there's kind of four levels to generosity here that we know people kind of walk through. One, you go from nothing to something. So maybe you're not giving anything right now. Maybe you take a step of faith over the next 90 days and you go, I'm going to give something. What's something? Give me five bucks over the next 90 days, five bucks. Again, it's not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. 
And so you go from nothing to something. You're taking a step of generosity. You're taking a step closer to the heartbeat of God. And then you go from, from uh, something to significant. Significant is a percentage. So maybe I'm going from $5 a year that I give to I'm going to give 1% of my salary for the next 90 days. And then you go from significant to tithe, which is at 10%. And you go from tithe to sacrificial. And so it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not here to say, what, what are you going to do? And you better do this or whatever. You choose the piece of the pie that you're going to take out. My only recommendation is take it out before everything else. Before everything else. And when you and I, when we plan, when we decide in our heart what to give, and then we give it, it changes the world. About three and a half years ago, I was introduced to a guy named Drew. Uh, Drew at that time, I'd never met him before. He was going through a really tough tough time. And we had mutual friends and they told him, hey, maybe you should meet with our pastor. So him and I, we met at Lost Coffee. It's because the, uh, the other coffee shop wasn't there yet. We met at Lost Coffee and I just got to hear a little bit of his story. Man, he was going through a rough time. It was a rough time in his marriage, a rough time with his kids, a rough time with his job, just a really hard situation that he was walking through. And Drew had no, no faith uh, foundation at all. Zero. In fact, as I got to hear his story, his, he's, he's from a Jewish lineage, but he didn't practice. There was no practicing of Judaism when he was growing up or anything like that. Had never stepped foot in a church before. And so at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, Drew, I, I just want to invite you to church on Sunday. He said, Ernest, can I ask you a question? Would it be okay for somebody like me, for a Jew, to come to your church? And I said, man, Jesus was a Jew. So I think he'd like for you to come and we'd like for you to come. And so Drew came that very next Sunday. And at the end of the service, just like I do every week, I gave an opportunity for somebody to make a commitment of Christ. And I saw Drew in the back raise his hand. And from that point to this day, I've watched Drew make faith decisions every Every time he can, and he's walked through some challenging times. Like, it's not like things got easy after that point or anything. Like, but he had somebody to rely on. He had Christ to lean on, and his outlook was different. He was thinking about things differently. He was talking about things differently. And about six months ago, Drew came up to me and said, hey, man, I got cancer. I said, okay, what type is it? And let's pray for you, and what are you going to do? And so he started chemo, and. And so right before I left for my sabbatical this summer, that Sunday he came up to me and said, hey, man, I want you to know I'm clear. Him and I had been talking the whole time, and every time he had gone through treatment, man, it was terrible and it was really hard. But, you know, it was like one more step to getting healed. And he said, I want you to know I just got my test done and I'm completely cleared. And we celebrated. It was awesome. And about four weeks ago I got a text saying that he had passed. Drew was a young guy. The cancer wasn't all gone. They just didn't see where it had gone. And he passed real quick. And I think about Drew's life, and it's only because of the generosity of people in our church that, that Drew's now in a different place. Like my brother now, his eternity is completely changed. 
his destination is completely different. Like he's completely healed. He's with Christ and all of that. And that's because of the generosity of people in our church. People going, you know what? I'll help pay to make sure we can rent a school for people to come to. I'll help pay to make sure the lights are kept on. I'll help pay to make sure we have technology. So when people are sick at home with cancer or, or because of COVID or because of vacations, they can still engage. I'll, I'll give so that you can go have coffee with a guy and hopefully lead him to Christ. I'll give. And because of your generosity, for those of you who've chosen to give to this church, man, there's a guy that is now dancing with Christ, completely healed. His destination is completely changed. And next Sunday, I'm going to be doing his funeral. And I know as I stand up there, I get the opportunity to preach the gospel to a crowd that most of them do not know Christ. And I get to tell them that Drew's life was forever changed. Because of so many of you. Because people said, I'll decide in my heart what I'm going to give, and I'm going to give it. And I'm going to ask God to use that to change the world, even if it's just one person's world. I know some of you are thinking, Ernest, this is amazing, but there's no way I can, I can do 10%. There's no way I can give that. I'm like living paycheck to paycheck. And I would just say, man, that's where trusting God comes into play. As we're trusting that God is in control and that God is your provider, comes into play. I mean, for Sarah and I, when we started tithing and we started increasing our giving and all of that, man, it wasn't like, oh, things have been easy since that point. We've had really hard times, times where logically it would have made a lot more sense for us to stop our generosity, to be able to pay for this bill over here or this emergency over here or whatever, and then pick it back up later. That would have been the logical thing to do, but we said, we got to trust God. And every time God has come through, there's been times I wish he would have come through earlier or maybe with a little bit more, but he's always come through, always. And what I've learned is that you can live and do more off of 90% blessed by God than 100% not blessed by him. You can do way more, have way greater impact, see way greater rewards in your own life off of 90% blessed by him than 100% not. So will you choose to trust in him? Sacrifice, generosity is a sacrifice. You're having to sacrifice something because you could use that money to something else. Sacrifice is not easy. Generosity is hard. Trusting God is hard. I think that's why Paul penned these words, that verse 8. where he said, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. May we trust God with our finances. May we trust him with our generosity. And God, may you use our generosity to transform the world, starting with the one, starting with the Jerus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you so much, God, for just giving us, God, the example of generosity. I thank you for a church, the Corinthian church that struggled. They wanted to give, but they struggled in how. So, God, they can be an example to us today. I believe all of us long to give and maybe to give more and to be more generous, but maybe we struggle with the how. 
So Father, I just pray for each one of us where we are in our relationship with you. I pray that God, you would help to use this conversation to move us forward. And Father, we would take that 90-day generosity challenge, and as we take those steps of faith, God, that we would move closer to your heartbeat, a heartbeat of generosity. That, God, you displayed generosity not because we deserved it, but because you loved us. You, deserve, you, you displayed generosity in the greatest way by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And God, I know every single week we have people coming to this place just like Drew. Maybe you would say, you know what, I have no faith foundation. Or you know what, Ernest, I did come to Christ a long time ago or, or maybe a year ago. But man, I've been doing my own journey, living my own life, and this is not working. And God is saying, come home. Come home. The greatest display of generosity is him sending Jesus for us. May we receive what Jesus is offering us right now. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, you know what, I came into this place and yeah, man, I felt distant from God. I don't even know why I'm here. Maybe somebody invited me. Maybe I just showed up and I've been feeling distant from God, but man, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to re recommit my life to Christ today. I want to take that step and just say, man, I want to come home. I want to come home. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Father, thank you. If you're in the courtyard, you can do the exact same thing. Raise your hand right now. If you're watching at home, just text the word follow to the number on the screen. We want to celebrate with you. Incredible step, incredible faith step to just say, I'm coming home. And then, God, for all of us, tell us what we're to do next. Father, for some of us, we're already so generous and, and giving so much to different things and to, to your church and, and all of that. But, God, we want to be more like you. And you gave it all, so help us to know what our next step is. Others of us, God, we're just starting on this journey. God, it's been really hard to trust a church or to trust people, or maybe we just feel so strapped by our circumstances. God, help us to take a step today toward your heart of generosity. And Father, may you use that generosity not only to build trust in us, so that we would trust you more, see that you provide all things at all times, God, so that you would change the world. You would change the other Drews that are out there, hurting, lost. Pray, Father, you would move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name.